Blue Jackets win the draw. Riley Nash got it, but they don't get the clear. Riley holds the puck in. Centering pass to Barris. Right in front. Quick shot. Score! Kasperi Kapanen. Matthews. Sorry, it was Austin Matthews yeah, coming off that wing and pounded it in. Alright, hey now. Hey now, it is late Friday night into Saturday. It's August 7th or 8th or something like that. This is the Sportscaster season number 10, episode number 14. Good show for you today. We have a tradition like no other. Uh, Aaron Schatz is on the show today. He comes on every year at this time. Uh, He's promoting the... uh, Football Outsiders Almanac. It's the best uh, NFL college and fantasy preview in the world. And he's nice enough to give me a copy every year to look at. And we spent 40 minutes earlier in the week talking about teams and players and stats and hypotheticals and all that. It's great. We'll do that first. Uh, After this segment, we'll take a break and we'll go right uh, to Aaron for that. And like I said, we do that every year. Also on the show today, a debut, a debut, a first-timer. Uh, Bobby Burak is from OutKick. So not only is he on for the first time, but it's the first time anyone from OutKick has ever been on. And I'm going to say this. I know OutKick can be a polarizing platform for sports media. I know that there's some people out there Maybe who don't like Clay Travis. Maybe they don't like Jason Whitlock. But Jason Whitlock has told me on Twitter before that this is his America. I don't remember the context exactly, but I know he was arguing with my friend. Uh, he was arguing with my friend from Sherman Report and Ed Sherman, and I stuck up for him. And Jason said that this is my America, and I just said okay. Uh, I know some people don't like those guys. They don't like OutKick. Maybe they think it's not good sports coverage because they lean right or have a right-wing view of the sports media. I'll say this, though. Uh, This podcast has been on the air since 2011. And almost every week, uh, the person that I interviewed uh, had a left-wing view of the world and sports, you know, whether it's been Jeff Perlman or it's been Will Leach or John Pessa or, you know, maybe just about everyone else, right? Like a large percentage of the people who have been on this program and especially the ones that cover sports as media, right? Richard Deitch, Jimmy Traina, Will Leach, all those guys who cover sports media closely are very, very left-wing guys. And look at I'm not, I don't think, making any assumptions there. If you follow any of them, 
on social media, it doesn't take you long to understand that that's their view of the world. So I don't think, and I don't want to hear from anyone, I don't, you know, any emails that it's some kind of controversial decision to have Bobby on. You know, like, I want this to be an open forum. And I've always allowed it to be that for everyone I've ever had on. Um, and I'm excited to have Bobby, and I hope to get more people from OutKick. I'd love to have Clay on someday. He's very interesting to me. And his position right now represents a portion of the sports media landscape, right? Right now, you can't necessarily have the conversation of sports online without OutKick. They are a huge part of that marketplace, and I'd like to speak to them uh, and find out their story and find out where they're coming at things. And I think the most interesting thing and the biggest difference about my interview with Bobby compared to Traina or Deitch in the past is he is not afraid to say that politics are the reason for the decline in sports ratings. Now, Deitch and Traina have always stopped short of that and said at best that it's a small reason for the decline, but have always blamed other things like, you know, cord cutting or whatever. Uh, Bobby is of the opinion, and he will share it in a bit, uh, that politics is a huge reason for example, the fall of the NBA ratings so far since their return. Uh, with that said, I look forward to having Bobby on. I know a couple of people have reached out to me, actually, and asked me to have someone from OutKick on. I know Fred Cass has, maybe a few others. Uh, so we're going to do that second today. So Aaron Schatz is on. We do it every year. I'm excited to do it. We'll do him first. We'll take a break. We'll do the book club update. Um, which will include the Football Outsiders Almanac. And then, of course, the Chris Cornell book. We'll kind of close off on that. we got to get Corbin refund soon. Uh, then we'll do the debut of Bobby Burak from OutKick. And then I'll be back with one last thing. So that's the plan for today. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a tradition like no other and a debut. And I love both. I love when someone comes back and back and back. And I love when someone debuts. So I'm excited. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Aaron Schatz. Our first guest today is the editor-in-chief at Football Outsiders. He's from Auburn, Massachusetts. He is a graduate of Brown, and he's making his annual appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Aaron Schatz. Hey, Aaron, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing okay. I'm doing the same as everybody else. That's my answer when everybody asks me how I'm doing. Same as everybody else. Same problems as everybody else, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's, it's fair. It's a fair 2020 response. I got some sportscasters trivia for you because I know you are an aficionado in that uh, area. Um, something you're passionate about, sportscasters trivia. Uh, what episode do you think was the debut of yourself on this program? I have no idea. I don't know how long you've been doing the podcast. Okay, so it started in 2011, the day after Cam Newton and the uh, Auburn Tigers defeated Oregon 
in the uh, BCS title game. So nine so probably years. Probably a pretty early episode. Let's go with thirty. Uh, All right, now this is where it gets fun. So episode one, Jeff Passan, right? Good start. Episode two, Greg Wyshynski. A couple of Yahooers that started off. They were both at Yahoo at the time. Now both at ESPN. Deitch in episode three. And episode four, the man, Aaron Schatz. Really? Yep, you and Dave. Oh, my God. So I've been with you from the beginning. Very beginning. One of the one of the OGs, as they say. I wonder what we talked about that day. I would have listened to it, but I'd be too embarrassed. I'd have to shut Probably it off. Probably Cam Newton if it was 2011. <laughs> That's right. Well, and... Only a couple weeks after his big triumph in uh, wherever that game was played. I don't remember which stadium. but Probably the Packers. The Packers were the defending champions at that point. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. They went on to have a much better 2011 regular season than their 2010 regular season, but they won the Super Bowl in 2010 and not in 2011, so go figure. 2011 is when they went 15-1, and and then they had the disastrous bye week where Coach's son tragically committed suicide. It just seemed like everything went wrong, and then they lost to the Giants, right? Is that that year? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because the Saints would have hosted the NFC Championship game against the Giants, but they couldn't quite stop Alex Smith um, in the last couple of minutes in the classic game against the 49ers. Um, yep. Look at I look forward to this every year. Uh, I look forward to opening the almanac, going right to the Saints section, reading the chapter. Um, talking to you, you know, this is usually the time of year where I'm just most excited about football. Now it's been tough the last couple of years with the Saints losing on the last play. You know, it's not that often that your team's season ends on the last play. Well, it always ends on the last play, I guess, but you know what I mean, where the last play is so controversial, right? Or it just ends the season, you know, like the walk-off digs play, you know, they're ahead to the last yep. play, you know, then the unanimously i'm not even being biased one of the worst calls ever and then it's ends on a field goal against and then last year in overtime again uh you know a uh a touchdown by the tight end for the vikings so i can't remember this second but um kyle rudolph, kyle rudolph thank you so it's been a tough couple of years but i still you know want to go back and, and 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 be punished you know be a glutton for punishment again and i still love my team and love the game uh, i guess what i'm getting at is Despite that, it's still it feels harder this year. You know, it feels harder to get excited because I, I, you know, in my head I'm like, oh, they're gonna play a game and then everyone's gonna get sick and it's gonna get canceled, or oh, you know, I'm gonna wake up on a Sunday and Drew Brees is gonna have COVID and you know it's gonna be a disaster, or you know, whatever. All the thi- it just seems like so much more can go wrong this year, and everything that has gone wrong already has created a an air of pessimism in my being. And I'm having trouble, and I wonder, what about you? How do you feel uh, on August 4th uh, in terms of optimism when it comes to football? The fact is we made it through the offseason. We were the one sport that got to go on with our lives as usual. Right. Right? Like the other sports were in the middle of playing when this all happened. We were in the offseason. So we were able to go on with our offseason as usual. Um, you know, we had free agency, we had a draft. Now is when we're finally facing up to the reality of COVID, whereas the other sports had to deal with it months ago. Uh, 
my theory is that we need to accept that not every team is going to play 16 games. I think you're going to end up with outbreaks like what's happened in baseball, and teams are going to have to take a week or two off. But that if we accept that, we can make it through the season. We just have to accept that it's weird, that it's going to be like one of those seasons from the 20s where teams didn't schedule the same number of games as each other. Sure. We just have to accept that it's going to be that way. Right. It's going to be that season where no matter what happens, you kind of just have to say, well, uh, that's 2020. You know, that's just that's just they're doing the best they can. Right. Like baseball is going to get to the point where they're going to play seven inning double headers. You know, and you as a baseball fan, you just kind of be like, well, it's better than nothing, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I think as a football fan, you're going to have to feel the same way. I think that. You know, they're going to do everything they can to have a season and the, the the virus is going to get in the way. But if they can, uh, you know, if, if we can accept the fact that some games are going to have to be canceled or postponed, I think we can make it through. You know, I was thinking about the the 2005-2006 Buffalo Sabres. And hang, hang with me for one second. I was thinking about them the other night. They They were, by the playoffs, the best team in the National Hockey League. And they won the first round, no injuries. They beat the Flyers. The clinching game was like an ass-kicking. You know, it was just like, wow. And then they were going to play the big, bad Ottawa Senators, who were the best team in the regular season that year. And they beat them in five games, and uh, they get to the conference finals. But they had an injury or two, including Tim Connolly, who was like the best player in the world at the time. And then in the conference finals, they lost in seven games. Uh, They were up 2-1 to going to the third period to Carolina and lost. But each time they won a game, in the conference finals, they lost another defenseman to injury. And whenever I think back to that season, I was like, well, what they really lost was the battle of attrition, right? Like that's the competition that they lost just as much as the one on the ice. And I was thinking of that in terms of football this week, like, you know, the team that's standing at the end might be the team that wins the battle of COVID, you know, the team that for whatever reason, whether it's their diligence, whether it's luck uh, you know whether it's being in a city with uh, an outbreak that's already happened, and and, and maybe the uh, T cell immunity, if that's really a thing, has you know made that state more inhabitable. Whatever the reason, it seems like that might be just as big of a factor as you know who had the best offensive line and could get pressure on the quarterback and got the best quarterback player or whatever. Any thoughts on that? I agree with you. I think depth is going to play a larger role in this season than in any season. Depth plays a very large role in the NFL overall. Right. But I think it's going to play an even larger role this season than other seasons. I mean, the good news for you, if you like the New Orleans Saints, is the New Orleans Saints are a team with a lot of depth. Right. Great roster. Right. There isn't a team that can afford to lose their starting quarterback, but the team that would be best off if they had to lose their starting quarterback is probably new Orleans. Right. Jameis um, or Taysom. Right. Yep. Two good options. Jameis Winston. Yep. yep. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think Taysom Hill is a good option. I don't think he could be a starting quarterback, but I think Jameis Winston is certainly a good option. And he would be the they first have, option. Taysom would be yeah. third. Right. So, yeah. And they have a lot of depth at a lot of positions around their roster. So, uh, you know, I mean, compare that to their top competitor, which is Tampa Bay, 
which is very top heavy. Tampa Bay has a lot of talent on the top end, but they don't have a lot of depth. Who else do you feel like is positioned that way in terms of depth and um Philadelphia? Okay. Is a team with a lot of depth. I have to think those are the two that I normally think of most is I think uh Kansas City has a lot of depth, especially if you consider Andy Reid's ability to get a strong performance out of back quarterbacks. Right. Right? Yep. Mean, what he did with Matt Moore last year was really promising. Um, I have to think a little bit more about which teams in particular you know, have a lot of depth versus don't, but those are the ones that stand out to me. It's interesting that you uh, mentioned Andy, too. I'm sorry. It's interesting you mentioned Andy, too. Do you think having a coach who's in the in the run a bit with the team and a stability of the organization, you know, in the program, um, you know, uh, is that, is that going to be an advantage versus maybe a team who's got a first year coach to doing everything the first time, you know, it, it will be having a veteran yeah, I don't coach. Know. Does that help? They're going to have time. They didn't have an off season OTAs to install things in person, but they had plenty of online meetings to install new offenses and defenses. So I, I don't know how important that's going to be uh, as far as continuity. I think the continuity of, for example, of offensive linemen playing alongside each other and knowing each other's sort of tendencies and ticks, I think that's going to play a role, certainly. Here's a question for you. Hopefully I'm a talented enough to get it out right. A lot of what you do at Football Outsiders is very much looking at the tangibles on the field and creating context for the very tangible numbers. It seems like as we're talking, and as I've been thinking before we were talking, that a lot of intangibles could be a part of this season and how teams deal with those things, which is kind of outside the comfort zone of football outsiders. Um, have you th- Have you thought at all about those things and how football outsiders could maybe include them in some way like like what i mean is you, you well spe- you can't okay the, the impossible reason, the reason why intangibles are called intangibles is because they are intangible fair yes. you can't measure them so right. that's why you know that's why for every team we do a range of possibilities that's why in football outsiders almanac we do chapters where we write about the teams we don't just do here's our number protection like we write about the teams and so we, we write about places where we think our projections might be a little low might be a little high where certain issues of intangibles may play a role. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's difficult to predict. I think the best prediction you can make is that there's going to be more random chance in this year than usual, and that teams will probably be more clustered around eight and eight than usual, because having top stars go out with COVID is more likely to bring the top teams down and the up, and the worst teams up right and it's interesting with the new playoff format this year and only the one bye week and you know more likely that an eight and eight type team could finish in that last spot you know it's not out of the realm of possibility that someone who catches a break a bad break maybe a losing streak sneaks in on that last spot but is much better than that could very much make a run this year you know i guess that's maybe always the case yeah uh that's because what happens if we lose people to covid in the middle of the playoffs. Right. What a nightmare that would be, right? You wake up on Super Bowl Sunday and your star receiver is tested positive or something. Um, 
let's get into the projections a little bit because let, let's get into the normalcy a little bit because like you said and i read in your introduction which i read every year look forward to reading you know and we have already talked about it the off season was still for the most part the off season and you were still able to do what you do so well at, at football outsiders and that's project and then pr- put those projections uh, into context so let's talk about the projections a little bit how many uh times do you run the season again it's millions, right? A million. A million. Yeah. Okay. And I'm always fascinated by this. So you run it a million times. What when you when you start looking at that data, what jumped up out to you right away as surprising, not surprising? What what were your initial reaction when you start analyzing the thousand um, projections or million? Excuse me. Right. I mean, we do a thousand projections of how good each team is going to be, and then we do a thousand runs of each set of projections to do the seasons. So, uh, I mean, you know, listen, by the time I've done that simulation, I know how good all the teams are and I've done whatever tweaking we need to do on projections because of players moving in and out and et cetera. The quite, you know, as far as what will surprise people who aren't me and haven't spent the whole right. summer with these projections, number one is going to be the NFC North. So we have the entire NFC North clustered very tightly around eight and eight with Green Bay and Minnesota falling from where they were last year. And Detroit, very narrowly, actually comes out as our division favorite. Mm. Interesting. Patricia, second second or third year for him there? I believe this is his third yeah, year. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Uh, but in DVOA, the mean DVOA projection, right? That's the average yep. of how good we think teams will be. And that's your main The four stat. teams from the NFC North come out. 16, 17, 20, and 21. Wow. That is very tightly grouped together. How rare is it to be that tightly grouped? Pretty rare. Pretty rare. Uh, how good are the Chiefs as a returning champion compared to other returning champions on your... They're our number one team in average projected wins. Okay. Is that New typical? New Orleans is slightly higher. New Orleans is slightly higher in mean DVOA projection, but Kansas City is highest in wins. And, and yeah, it is typical. I mean, we tend to believe that teams are going to play, you you know, your starting point is what teams did last year. So teams that were really good last year will be really good this year. And that offense is more predictable than defense. So teams that are offensive powered, you know, will carry over better than defensive teams. And Kansas City is an offensive, was an offensive powered team. What does the computers and your projections say about, a Tom Brady-less New England team? Well, we had them below 500, and then they signed Cam Newton. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a nice pickup for them. So we now have them at the bottom of the top 10, and we now have them as different division favorites, but I have not yet done a new simulation that accounts for the opt-outs. Okay. And they so have had a few. closer to Buffalo, right, because right. of the opt-outs that right. they've had. Okay, and Bills fans are going to be interested in that. So the Newton signing put them over Buffalo when they did that, huh? Yeah, I have Buffalo lower than most people probably do because I'm just not a believer in the offense. Okay, They actually have our number one defensive projection. Well, we have talked about... But their offensive projection is poor. We have talked in the past that you are not a Josh Allen believer. No. Yeah, he has not done well in your... 
um, analysis really at any level, whether it was, I remember the, when he was a draft pick, us talking about him. And I, I want to say you said something like one of the worst first round, pro, you know, quarterback projections you've ever seen. Ever. Yeah. 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 And so he has not, not found a way to get on your good side in terms of statistical analysis at all in his play in the league. Yeah. There, yeah I mean, obviously we could be missing something here. I mean, one element is the uh, quarterback projection variable that goes into the offensive projection is based on passing. So it's possible that we could be underrating a little bit. The quarterbacks get a lot of their value from running, like yeah. Lamar Jackson, like Josh Allen. Sure. Uh, the problem with that is if we're underrating Josh Allen in that way, and we're probably underrating Cam Newton in that way too. Right. It's really interesting because if you think of a player that Josh Allen has been most compared to, it's Cam Newton. And now they have to compete with each other for the division title. Right. It's so interesting to me if Cam Newton can be Cam Newton. You know, that's a really interesting thing because obviously as a fan of the NFC South, the team in the NFC South, you know, I've seen quite a bit of him compared to quarterbacks on other teams. And um, he's most effective when he can just be Cam, right? Like you, you, It doesn't take you long when you're watching him play to know how he's feeling. You know, you can yeah. just – you can see it. He, you know, it, it's – you can see when he's being himself and not thinking and playing. And you can see when he's, you know, like favoring a foot like he's been the last year or so and how limited he becomes. And then his accuracy goes from, you know, okay to bad. You know, ball starts sailing on him. And um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, where he's at. But I'm surprised that he, I'm not surprised he jumped New England. I am surprised he jumped him as much as he did, I guess. Well, like I said, we have Buffalo around 8-8 eight and eight as the average projection, so he didn't jump New England that high up. Okay. But they were, they were. I mean, he jumps them He jumps them almost a full win. Our projections are very conservative, and they're very grouped around 8-8. Eight and eight. So that's a lot. We had them second in the division, and, and this made them first by bringing Newton aboard. Is there a team that was a year away that – Last year, that your computers, your projections seem to feel um, will meet that promise this year? I mean, I think the team that we most have sort of rising, the sort of young rising team would be Arizona. Sure. I mean, we don't have them that high, but we have the entire NFC West above 8-8 eight and eight as their average projection. Um, I mean, we have Indianapolis pretty high, but that doesn't really follow the same. Indianapolis and Tampa Bay are sort of in the same boat. You know, teams that had a lot of overall talent, adding That's a veteran quarterback right. who you would expect would make fewer mistakes, and that would be bring an improvement for the team overall. Indianapolis also has the easiest projected schedule in the league. That's always nice to have. Um, yep. Who takes a turn for the worst? Is there a team, a playoff team last year that you just don't see as a contender this year? Well, I mean, all teams are contenders. Okay, fair enough. Um, Houston is the lowest of last year's playoff teams, I believe. Um, They were the lowest of last year's playoff teams in DVOA to start with. So it's actually not, doesn't have them. It more has them having sort of average luck. They already sort of were a below-average team, although that's, you know, 
if you take out the last game of the season where they sat starters, they were a slightly above average team, but still the worst of the playoff teams. We have Minnesota losing a lot. They lost a lot of personnel this offseason, especially Stephon Diggs and Everson Griffin. And we have Green Bay really plummeting because they were not a 13-3 and team in the oh underlying last year. They were more of a 10-6. and six. So frustrating. So they didn't fill certain holes, and we think their defense is going to regress. And so we have them. That's, that's why the whole NFC North is so packed tight together because of Minnesota and Green Bay regressing. You can only imagine how frustrating as a Saints fan Green Bay was for me last year. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, but uh, well, yeah, they ended up getting that bye week. Yeah, that y'all needed. So yeah, they ended up getting the bye week. You know, by yard in that. You know, the the buys in the NFC came down to the last play of the regular season by one yard. San Francisco keeping Seattle out of the end zone by one yard. Yep. Um. One of my favorite things to talk to you about, I remember one year the Browns were, you know, set to be the worst team in the league. Maybe it was the season where, you know, then the next year they picked first and got Mayfield. And you were saying that of the million projections, they had still won the Super Bowl in like a hundred of them or something. Is who's the low man in the in the projections this year and how many times are they Super Bowl champions? Uh the low team is Carolina. Love it. Uh they have the hardest schedule in the league, projected. Uh, they win the Super Bowl in 0.2% of projections. <laughs> that's great. So that's two out of every thousand, one out of every 500 projections they win. They win the Super Bowl. And, and how many times does the top team win it, just for comparison? Uh, the top team is Kansas City. So they win the Super Bowl about sixteen percent of the time. Okay, sixteen. So that's like roughly. Two. Yeah, that's roughly one out of every six. A little, a little less than that. More like one out of every six and a half. Gotcha, gotcha. What about uh, what about players? Uh, you know, we talked a little bit before about uh, Josh Allen and how poorly he projected as he entered into the league. What about some guys from the first round this year? Who are you projecting to be some of the top rookies? And who are some of the guys that you think will not have the impact that their teams hoped when they invested in him, similar to the way the Bills did with Josh Allen? Well, the issue is more, you know, when you're talking about projections for rookie year, it's more about opportunity than it is about um, talent. Okay. So, for example, like we really like Michael Pittman's opportunity to start in Indianapolis as a wide receiver. And they took Jonathan Taylor, who was our number one rated running back, but he's going to have to share the backfield with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. So even though our running back formula like Taylor more than our wide receiver formula like Pittman, you know, as far as what they're going to do as rookies, we really like Pittman because the opportunity is there. For running backs, the guy with the opportunity, even though he came out surprisingly low in our backcast projection system, the opportunity is all with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of Kansas City. Right. Yeah, Especially well, with Damian Williams opting out. Yeah, and this, and just to make a point, this is where the book, and it's loaded with these, is so great for fantasy players. You know, and especially if you're if, at different kinds of leagues, right? A fantasy player just heard Jonathan Taylor, great for Dynasty. You know, maybe not for, um, for you know redrafts. Um, you know, a redraft guy on indie that the projections seem to love uh, is Pittman, and the book is loaded with you. I just wanted to make that point 
because uh, I'm always trying yeah. to, to sell this is the the book is loaded with things like this for fantasy drafts, you know, um, and that was just a great point. I thought of that, so I wanted to mention it real quick. A um, couple more, and and then we'll wind out, and I'll let you go. Um, is there anything unique uh, about this season in terms of your findings? Is there anything that made you say, "Oh, we haven't seen that," or "We don't see that often," or is there anything that, that mm-hmm. raised your eyebrow in that way? We don't often see one division being as strong as the NFC West, where all four teams project better than eight eight. So that's a little different. Um, things are even more. It's funny. The projection system kicked things out more close to eight and eight, even more compact than usual. And then COVID is going to just make things even more compact. So it's a real up in the air season. Like it's really interesting. Uh, I was on with uh, Gil Alexander from Vegas Sports and Info Network, and he pointed out the team with the biggest difference between our projection and Vegas is Jacksonville. Not because we think Jacksonville is going to be any good. But because our projections are so close to, to eight and eight, and Jacksonville's win uh, under un, uh, winning uh, over under in Vegas is four point five, so there's a huge difference between our like, well, everybody's going to be more concentrated around eight and eight this year, and Vegas is like four point five. Jacksonville sucks. That there's probably some value there and going over on Jacksonville, even though we still think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah, that's an interesting point, too, because I mentioned how valuable the book is for fantasy. I want to tell you this. I got an email from a listener. Uh, I had tweeted that you were going to be on this week, and a listener emailed me to mention that after he heard you on the show last year, he got the book because he's in a wins pool uh, where you draft. Mm -hmm. You you have to draft him in different tiers, he explained. You know, like you can't. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. You know, so you got to draft like you get you got to find the good bad team or whatever, you know, with with one of your picks. Uh, And, you know, he had said that he had won his wins pool because of the information from the book. Um, And I want to mention that to you. Uh, Another way that it it, it reminded me of that when you were talking about Jacksonville and wins. Um, Another way that this book can be super valuable. um, Yeah, I think if you're in a win pool and you end up with Jacksonville last, you're in a pretty good place because, I mean, we have Jacksonville is better than uh, Carolina or Washington. Uh, Miami's a team that subjectively, I think, could be a little bit better than our projection. But, um, you know, another good team to get at the end of one of those wins pools would be Detroit, obviously, we feel. Sure, yeah. Uh, Las Vegas. Let me ask you, I don't know if you're thinking of another one, but let me, while you're thinking, uh, if you're not, but let me ask you, uh, okay, let's go back to players for a second. Um, and I'm going to be selfish, but I want to know what, uh, what, what Breeze is saying in your, in your projections, because I know a lot has been made is his season last year, obviously he missed some games for the first time in a while, really the first time ever as a saint. Uh, but statistically his season was amazing. And then. When you read someone like Nick Underhill, who's a very, who who covers the team from a very you know analytic way, you know he points to things like thirty yard passes weren't there for him, uh, as they had been in the past. Yeah. You know, and now and now just this week, Breeze and his throwing coach have talked about how that that's something that they identified and worked on, and uh, how that has been really important to his training this year. Uh, what do you see when you when you analyze Breeze as he gets to what forty one years old now? Um, still 
playing, you know, the playoff game wasn't great, of course, but, you know, the whole team sucked. Uh, they didn't protect him. He wasn't good, but, you know, I'm giving him a little bit more of a pass than maybe some Saints fans just because he's on his ass the whole game. And if you go right up the middle at Breeze, like the Vikings did, that's when you can that's when you can move him off his line and affect his play. But we're getting off the point. How does How do you look at Breeze when you study his numbers and his uh, step into – you know what? He, 2006, he joined. So this is his 15th season. I, I think, think uh, with the Saints, we haven't projected. We haven't projected as the most efficient quarterback in the league. I mean, he's he's very consistent. I mean, yes. yeah, he doesn't throw the ball downfield very much anymore, but he's very consistent. And I would expect him to consistently be good. It's hard to predict the fall off for those old quarterbacks because it kind of doesn't come until it, until it comes. Like sure. you don't know when it's going to happen. So if you, you know, the risk is higher probably because of the age, but the consistency has been really strong. So despite the fact that he doesn't throw the ball downfield. And the other thing is, you know, he does have better receivers this year because he now has Emmanuel Sanders. He has someone else to go to besides Michael Thomas. That's a plus. Right. Yeah. And and that's one thing. The first two years of Teddy Gann in New Orleans, he was catching those long balls. You know, and last year I can think of at least two over 30 that he needed to catch and didn't. Um, and I wonder if maybe Sanders catches those, you know, this year. We'll see. Um, but and that's something I've always appreciated about Breeze is like, sure, he's not going down the field as much anymore. But, you know, then he takes Michael Thomas, who's his best receiver, whose strength isn't that anyway, you know, and has maximized that. You talked about the drop off. I know Brady's a couple years older and he's in, in a new system. But do you have any reason to believe that? Breeze or Brady would drop off first other than just probably Brady because he's a couple years older? I mean, Brady because he's a couple years older. Yeah, okay. There's nothing else. And because because we've already seen decline. We've already seen decline from Brady that we haven't seen from Breeze yet. Sure. What about um, the young stud QBs? Let's talk about this. This will be the last thing, and I got two quick ones, and we'll let you go. What about the young stud QBs in this league? And I know you already said that Sometimes the running um, isn't fully appreciated in your statistics. So let's make it a two-parter. Of the group of the young guys, the Mahomes, Jackson, Murray, um, all these guys who seem to be changing the position, taking the lead from the, you know, maybe the Breeze, Brady, Manning type studs who were, you know, more pocket passers and things like that. Um, How do you see them kind of settling into their role as stars in the league and as someone who's evaluating them and who has already said that running is maybe undervalued, are you looking at a way to kind of tweak your formula to keep up with the way the position is evolving? Yeah. I mean, we probably look into that a little bit, uh, whether we need to give more value to running quarterbacks because uh, they improve the rushing of the whole team. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's probably something worth looking into. Okay. And, and do you, I mean, obviously Mahomes has an MVP, you know, Jackson has an MVP, uh, is Murray well, Jackson's so- from another planet as a runner. I mean, sure. Jackson's just on another planet than those other guys. But Murray. Yeah. Look, it, not only do they have value themselves, quarterback runs tend to be more efficient than running back runs, but they also open things up for running backs because you always have like, you know, the fear that the quarterback's going to keep the ball and bootleg on the other side. So Guys like Allen and Murray, they open things up for their running backs. The sportscasters are here finishing up with uh, with Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. Been with us since episode four, as we talked about earlier, and is nice enough to do this with me every year. 
uh, even in the crazy uh, year that we're having, 2020. Uh, he's here with me, and I appreciate that so much from you. Aaron, something we always talk about that I know you're very proud of and I'm very um, in tune with is the Football Outsiders, the Aaron Schatz coaching tree, uh, writing tree. You know, we always talked about Parcells, you know, and, and now Belichick. They got their guys that are head coaches around the league. And uh, Football Outsiders for years now has been kind of a jumping off point for football writers. Uh, they start with a chapter in this book, and next thing you know, they're like the lead writer on Yahoo or something. Um, and we've talked about it before. Talk about the writers that write the chapters in this book, and you know, is there a next uh, stud assistant coach right now on Football Outsiders? It's going to be the next stud head coach, if you're following the analogy, and maybe just a minute or two on the legacy of the the Aaron Shots. Well, hopefully not, because I don't want them to leave <laughs> me. But Scott, Scott Spratt. Um, Scott Spratt, who, who, uh, came aboard about a year ago as a full-time person and has really taken over fantasy football from me, which really like helps make room on my plate for a lot more standard analysis. And, uh, his chapters are pretty good too. He did, uh, in the book, he did Philadelphia, Washington, Carolina, and Atlanta. And, uh, we have a couple of, uh, we have a, he's a new writer this year. Dan Pazuda is a smart guy who uh, also writes for Warren Sharp, Sharp's site, and he uh, did the Giants and the Cowboys in this year's book. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I could say good things about all of my writers, really. Uh, Brian Knowles is very, you know, clever. Um, Rivers McCown is always funny. Uh, Derek Claffin is a great film guy. Um so, you know, I don't know who's going to be the next guy to be taken to a full-time role somewhere else, but obviously I don't want to lose any of them. <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking about this to a friend one time, and I was explaining that it's kind of like you're David Chase, right? And then you got this writer's room creating Sopranos. And, you know, like Sopranos, I was like, oh, such great writing on Sopranos. I always say that about football outsiders. It's like the stats are great, but the writing in this book is so good, so engaging, you know, and I look at you as like the David Chase and then you got this writer's room around you. And what's interesting about, yeah. yeah and, and then like, not only that, but it's like, you're not just Sopranos cause it's not just NFL, right? You also, it's like you branched off, you know, maybe you're more the uh, Vince, what's uh, the breaking bad guy, Vince. Um, I can't think of his name, but uh, Vince something, uh, you know, he's now got Saul, like you got, NFL, college, you also do fantasy, and there's good writing for all of it. And again, it's me just kind of not necessarily a question, but saying to my listeners how great this is again. And um, the writing is so good, you know, and um, and I, so that's why well, I, I appreciate always, the kind words. Yeah, I always try to get at least one question in about that. You know, Mike Tanier, uh, Mike Tanier, Tanier, I'm screwing up his name right now. Um, and I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, no one pronounces Mike's name the same. He's actually stopped correcting people, but it's <laughs> Right, and when I have him on, I I go over it with him like three times to make sure I get it right. Um, so I apologize to Mike for screwing it up in this moment. Um, but he's one of the like Hall of Famers in my mind of writers for this book, who's just kills it every year. Um, yeah. All right, Football Outsiders. Let's plug it. Let's get everything. Every you probably can do it better than me, so I'll let you go. Everywhere to buy it, everywhere to read about it. The di- anything you want to say. Let's get it sold. So it's Football Outsiders Almanac 2020. You can get the electronic version from our site, footballoutsiders.com. You can get the printed version 
from Amazon.com, big, hefty book. You can also get what we call an FO Plus subscription. That's all of our premium stuff now with one subscription that you can either do monthly or annually. And that gives you a big database of historical DVOA that goes all the way back to 1985 and gets updated throughout the season with like how teams are doing in the red zone or on third down or against specific types of receivers. Plus, it gives you the Kubiak Fantasy Football Projections app that helps you win your fantasy league and a copy of the book. And you could buy that monthly or yearly, you said? Yeah, monthly. If, for example, if what you really want is the Kubiak Fantasy Football Projection app and to read the book, you can just get a monthly subscription for the next month for just your fantasy drafts and to read the book. Right. And then, but then, you know, we think you'll be hooked on it and you'll want to have it all year long, but you can do that as like a trial. And then if you like it, you can get it annually. So. And what are the Twitters to follow, follow you on Twitter? Maybe they can follow some links. Uh, I'm at F-O underscore A-Shots. That is spelled A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. Football Outsiders is just F-B Outsiders. And we're trying to start an Instagram, but I'm not even sure what the address is, so clearly we're not doing very well. <laughs> we need to get onto the Instagram. We're, we're, we're like very Twitter-centric. Right, which is why I wanted to make sure I got those out. Give me a couple. Okay, I think I found it. It's um, Hopefully this is you. Hold on. Before I say this, let me make sure it's you. It probably you. is us. We haven't used it very much. We have to up it a little bit more. Right. I see one that's called Football Outsiders, but I can't tell if it's you. If this is you, it's F ball underscore outsiders. I don't think it's you though. It doesn't scream Aaron to me. I don't think that's it. Hold on, let me try one more. Let me try one more search here to see if I can find it. This is riveting radio. While I'm doing this, give me a fo- uh, Super Bowl prediction. Uh Kansas City and New Orleans. Oh, I like that. Uh, one, one of these times, New Orleans is not going to lose in some weird way in the first round. <laughs> right, from your mouth to God's ears, as they say. All right, like I f- one of these years, like they're they're deep in their balance. One of these years, it's going to work. Yeah, it's such a good roster, man. Frustrating. It's FB Outsiders on Instagram. I found it. Yeah. Yeah, FB Outsiders is how you find it on there. Easy enough. Wasn't that other jabroni one I said? Same as the Twitter. Who's your MVP this year? I mean, if you want the best bet for an MVP, you have to go with Mahomes. Sure. <laughs> and we can record that and play it for the next 10 years, right? It's like going to be. Um, if you want a dark horse candidate, I gave on Good Morning Football, my super dark horse would be Matthew Stafford. Oh, that is a dark horse. I like that one, though. Stafford. Stafford played his first time. But the, the, best, the best pick is Mahomes, obviously. The be- best pick is Mahomes. Is Drew Brees the best player to never win it? I have. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I don't know if that's me. I don't know if he is. He might be. Yeah. Seems like every time he had his his like, I still think he should have won the year that Rodgers won, but I mean they went fifteen and one. You know what I mean? It's like, what are you gonna do? You know, they gave Breeze the yep. the uh, what's the other award? Offensive Player of the Year, I guess. But yeah, I mean, if it, if it was my choice, offensive player of the year would be become the non-quarterback award. Right. The most valuable player is always going to be a quarterback. Sure. You need an award for the best player at another position. If that was my choice, that there would be offensive player of the year, 
that would be actually if it was my choice they'd have you know four awards the offensive player of the year for skill players and then since no lineman will ever win it right they could have an offensive lineman of the year award yeah college football does this right right they got all kinds of awards yeah they yeah. have more awards yeah and the nfl is a show now like if you're going to do a show maybe you need more more awards more awards yeah all right aaron listen I'm a jabroni. I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm next to nobody. But you are nice enough to do this with me every year. Give me a cop, copy of the almanac. Like you're too good to me. So I, I want to say thank you so much. And um, well, thank you, and yeah. thank your readers, and for everybody who buys the almanac or subscribes to Fo Plus. We really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for helping us make this our living. Okay. I hope that I hope that uh, Football Outsiders, you know, has the necessary antibodies to be Corona proof. And that it's still so far, uh, so yeah. good. All right, thank you, buddy. Hey, no problem. I was a little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. Don't forget to check out The Football Outsiders, The Almanac. It comes out every single year around this time. And it is the best uh, sports football, college football preview in the world footballoutsiders.com for more information you can subscribe to their monthly service and get a copy of the almanac or you can go to amazon and buy it there uh nothing but appreciation and love for aaron for being on the podcast today uh, and for allowing me to help him promote that almanac every year i look forward to it and i hope that we're helping him sell some copies i hope you guys who are listening uh, will go out and buy a copy uh, because it's fantastic. It's worth worth every uh, penny. Also on the book club uh, this month, Total Fucking Godhead, the biography of Chris Cornell by Corvin Reef. Uh, it was released a couple weeks ago. Uh, and there is uh, blurbs from Greg Renoff, uh, David DeSola, who wrote the Allison Chains Untold Story, a book we covered a few years ago. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, great praise for this book, and I'm looking forward to finishing it. I'm about uh, six chapters in or so, um, getting to the point of Temple of the Dog. That's right about where I am now. Uh, so all the good stuff is coming up, right? Like Super Unknown and uh, the first Soundgarden Breakup and The Return and Audio Slave. So I'm looking forward to finishing this and having Corbin on the show uh, soon please check this out now that's about it for summer books and summer reading uh, and it's time to start getting ready for the fall and i was kind of looking on apple books the other day and thinking you know who am i going to reach out to you know what books uh, will we possibly feature now we know for one uh, that jeff perlman's book uh, is going to be in there there's a new jeff perlman book in september and i'm a little surprised by this point i haven't gotten a copy of it or heard from him at all uh but three ring circus is the name of that book 
Uh, Jeff Benedict has a book called The Dynasty about the Patriots. I'd like to get in on that. Um, what else did I see? Oh, there's a John Elway book coming out, which I think would be really fun by a guy named Jason Cole. Uh, maybe Dater knows him and can get us hooked up on that. Uh, but yeah, we're finishing up the summer and heading into the winter. I tried, by the way, and this sets up the next interview pretty well, I guess. I tried to get Ben Shapiro on. Uh, he's out promoting a book that he wrote uh, called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. And that would have been a huge jump into the uh, polarization of the sportscasters. Uh, but the um, the publicist did write me back for it. Hold on. What did she say? She uh, <laughs> This is funny. Her name was Teresa. And she said, hi, Steve. Thanks for circling back. Because I had to email her like four times before I got a response. Unfortunately, we'll have to hold on at scheduling at this time. But she'll reach out if anything changes. She has yet to reach out. <laughs> But um, anyway, all right, let's take a break. And when we come back, it's the debut of OutKick and the debut of Bobby Burak. Our next guest today is from Michigan. He graduated from Oakland, worked for the big lead, and is currently a staffer at OutKick. He's making his sportscaster's debut today. A warm welcome to Bobby Burak. What's up, Bobby? How you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. The first OutKicker on the sportscasters. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's always nice to beat Clay to a couple of things. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to uh, top him here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, what made you decide to move to Outkick? Because you're you're new there. You were at Big Lead, if I'm right about that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, I was, yeah. 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 So I was at the Big Lead. Uh, you know, I felt like longer, but really um, only a little over two years. Um, so it's not there that long, but actually. It is a few reasons why I moved over. Uh, and I get this question quite often. Um, you know, what I want to do in my career and what I want to bring to a platform, it's not really what websites, 2020, particularly sports websites, are looking for. Um, if you look around the blogs, the websites, the top ones, even some of the up-and-coming ones, they all play it really safe. You hardly see them call it like it is. Um, shoot it straight. Uh, I cover the media, so I you know. Uh, you know, now I cover political media and sports media. As a big lead, I just covered sports media, and uh, you know, it's important for me to say what I know and say what I feel, and not have to hold back. And because I don't think around the industry, that's the mindset. It's always like, well, hey, you know, this person is accepted on Twitter. Don't go after them. This person is not. That person's fair game. I don't play by those rules. I'm going to say whatever I want. I don't care if this person is liked on Twitter, if this person is left-leaning, which is accepted in the sports media, and this person is right-leaning, so they're not accepted. None of that matters to me. And the outkick was a place that I could be myself, uh, which is really a primary reason why I made the move. Uh, the sounds a lot, but it's really as simple as that. 
freedom is what I'm hearing. Freedom to, to, to. Oh. I want to say I don't. I don't, don't want to say freedom. Because okay. When you, when you say freedom, you indicate that you are muzzled you were in held some way. Back. Sure. You were held back. The big league didn't hold me back, but it, it was more of just knowing, you know, the conversations to follow and what was wanted and the best place for me to get my voice out. Uh, my style fits better in Outkick. So now freedom is more stylistically, I fit better at Outkick, and I have more potential there because my brand translates better there. Okay, fair enough. You know, I've been uh, someone who's loved sports media. I don't know if I want to say as much as the sports, but I've very much been a fan of sports media for years and years. Like, I remember going to lunch during college grabbing the USA Today on a Monday and right away opening it up to Rudy's column in there, you know, and reading about sports media from the week. It's always been particularly interesting to me for whatever reason. And I never thought about, for years and years and years, I never thought about how it related to politics or Section A of the USA Today or whatever. To me, it was always its own world of just, you know, sports was sports, the, you know, the red section in the USA Today, and all that other stuff was on the, in the front section or somewhere else. And it seems like the last few years, uh, certainly, um, definitely during the course of this podcast, which started in 2011, uh, that has certainly shifted and it is blurred quite a bit. And that, um, I don't know that they're one in the same at this point, but certainly, uh, politics plays a much bigger role in sports and sports media. Have you felt that shift as well? And why is OutKick a good place for you to be as that shift occurs and keeps drifting closer and closer to that kind of interlock uh, phenomenon that I, I talked about? So I love this question because it can't be answered by the way you phrased it because this stuff changes so often to see. In 2016, um, sports and politics, they got mixed so much that it tanked the NFL ratings. It tanked ESPN studio ratings. Um, It was a disaster. Nobody wanted to watch it. Um, Things got better as the years had gone on. And now it's 2016 on steroids. It's even worse. It's so bad right now. You can't turn on a sports show and get away from this. I'm not even being dramatic when I say the discussions on ESPN resemble the same discussions you get up the dial on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're that similar. Now, now, some, now some of that is, is that NBC you know, or MSNBC uh, and the other cable news channels are talking about some of the, the sports topics now because they're so involved in politics, but it's an irresponsible how much sports programming has pretty much just said, oh, we don't care what the fans want. We want to talk about what we want, and we're, don't, we're just going to push our narrative. It doesn't matter if the viewers are tuning out. I mean, like, I, nobody, nobody wants, and no football fan, the number show this, is tuning in for a sports show to hear people talk about Colin Kaepernick as a hero. Um, he's kneeling was, a big, was the primary reason why the ratings in 2016, and it took them so long to get back up there. Um, on an NBA broadcast Sunday night, I turned it on, I couldn't believe this. Uh, Mark Jackson referred to Colin Kaepernick as a hero, a quote-unquote hero. Now, look, maybe some of the country believes that, which is fine, but I don't think people tune in to an NBA broadcast to hear that about 
Kaepernick, who's a very controversial figure. See, I don't know if 50% of the country is a fan of his. I guarantee 50% of the country does not look at him as a hero or as a modern-day Muhammad Ali. So when you put that on sports program, it's telling at least half the country, if not more. I would tell you with more, hey, we don't want you. We don't care what you want to think. Look at some of these topics on these shows right now. Look at who they're bringing on. I mean, has there been a perspective uh, from somebody in the center in the past three months on these sports programs? Because if there if there has been, I haven't found it. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's interesting because I remember 2016. You know, <laughs> you don't have to have that good of a memory, a memory to remember it. But I remember as the election was approaching in, I guess, November of 2015 or whatever the timeline is, uh, when the election, the last election was coming, I remember just feeling so overwhelmed by it and like thinking, like, I can't wait for it to end and kind of and, and, and now we're, we're in that point again, that cycle again. And I feel that same way, if not more. And the, the idea of disconnecting is so important to me. Like more and more, I'm leaving my phone behind uh, when I go somewhere. I just want to disconnect. And forever, sports was a big part of disconnecting. And it feels like for whatever reason, the leagues are taking away uh, my ability. And I guess they don't owe me anything, but just speaking for myself, trying not to speak to anyone else. If I can't disconnect that way, I'm going to find another way. Like that's almost as important as anything to me right now is, is disconnecting and, and taking the pressure and the burden off of all this hyper political stuff going on around us, whether it's COVID or, um, you know, all, uh, Black Lives Matter, any of that stuff that, that's just surging right now. I need to disconnect. And if I can't do it there, I'm going to find another outlet. So I, I feel like there's a danger there. Um, and we've seen it in, in 2016, and, and I want to talk more about that in a second. But what about the idea of disconnecting and kind of my thought, because, again, it's, it's a personal anecdote. But do you think that you're finding more people like that, that, look, if I can't come here for peace, I'm going to go somewhere else? No question. And, that, and that's why um, I wrote a piece in OutKick earlier this week. Um, the ratings for the sports studio shows have crashed um, during the pandemic. And everybody told me, because I was talking, they're like, well, Bobby, there's no sports on. Of course, they're going to be down. And I said, yeah, they're going to be down, but they shouldn't be down this much. Sports are now back. The NBA's back, which is the most talked about sport on the vast majority of these shows. They're still down. PTI used to draw a million of viewers. It's drawing less than 400,000 right now. That's with the NBA's return, which was much hype. And, you know, ESPN had some of these games. So you're, you're right. People are tuning out because it's not that disconnect. I'll say this. I'm really in to politics. Like, like it's actually a personal. Like, like, if you look at the hierarchy of my interest, politics is right up there. Uh, and it, you know, it's right neck and neck with sports. Um, so I consume a lot of this stuff on my own time because I enjoy it. Now I cover some of this, so I do even more so. But even someone like me that enjoys this stuff, uh, especially with the election coming, I'm fascinated by it. I still do want at times to disconnect from it. And you're right. There's an NBA game on right now. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air. Um, it's not a disconnect from what's going on. I mean, if I turn on, if I turn up the volume on the broadcast right now, good chance the broadcasts are talking about social issues, not the game. Um, all the players, are, or the interviews are about social issues. So, right, sports are no longer a disconnect from that. And quite frankly, and sadly, I don't know if any league is. Uh, I, I mean, the NFL certainly is not going to be that escape. Baseball. They've done a better job, 
but it's still it's gotten political. Uh, so I don't know where you go. I mean, the PGA's been the least political league, and that one had the biggest ratings this past weekend. Uh, yeah, sports are no longer a disconnect. Hollywood really hasn't been a disconnect for a while. If you you know if you interpret the real lives of the actors and actresses, now you turn on a show or a movie, you can for the most part. Um, get away from some of this stuff, although there, there are a lot of like subtle political jokes uh, uh, in a lot of these films. But uh, for me, I'll say for me, um, I'm doing a lot of reading in books because I think that you look back at some of like, whether it be fiction or true crime, you, you, it's bringing you back to a time where there was that escape. I don't think a lot of anything current gives you that escape, whether it be in music, sports, or whatever, and especially not online. Uh, you cannot go online to really any website now and not find some semblance of a political or social stance on the site. I don't know where you go to get away from this stuff. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I really don't. I get for you. Nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so consuming that sometimes you feel like you're drowning in it. We were talking about 2016, and you know this show has always been about sportscasters to a big degree, right? It's Very few athletes have been on. Um, mostly usually the ones that are, are in media by the time they're on, you know, like Deuce McAllister, John Smoltz or some athletes that have been on, but you know, obviously by this point, they're not athletes as much as they are media members. Um, and like I said, I've always been fascinated by that. And I love the people who cover sports media. You know, Richard Deitch was on episode two of this show and has been on, you know, ever since, um, Jimmy Traina has been on several times. Uh, you know, uh, many of the people that you can think of that cover sports media, I've asked to be on because uh, I'm fascinated by it. And in 2016, they all assured me that the ratings drops in the NFL and other sports were not because of the politics. And they had a list of other reasons that they that that were the reason for them. Like, you know, in the NFL, like, oh, you know, ratings have peaked. And there's less viewers, you know, court cutting. They had a whole list, and and we can go back to those shows, and I don't want to try to remember exactly what they were, put words in their mouth, but I know that there was other reasons, and I would push back a little bit. And I would say, but this has got to be a reason, right? At least a reason. And I would usually get that, at, at least. that I would at least get them to say, like, okay, it's at least a reason. And here we are again now in 2020 where, like you said before, it's what it was in 2016 or more, probably more. And we're just now starting to learn um, the ratings, how, how it will affect the ratings. And if there is a decline, what, will the, what, what do you see as the reasons? Um, you know, we've already established that we both agree politics is at least one. What will we hear the other ones are? And how do you, do you have like a, like if it was a pie chart, like in your mind, do you have a like kind of a breakdown of why you think it will go the way it goes, and what percentage each thing will be responsible for? Hopefully, that made sense. I'm trying to. Are you ask Are you asking me why I believe, assuming the ratings are going to be down, I, I yeah. assume they will be. Right, I'm making um, that assumption as well. Why I think so, or the excuses my competitors are going to have. Well, okay, no, I want to know what you think. You know, as much as your as your competitors. Let's start with what you think. Why do you think it will be down? Yeah, the politicization. Obviously, okay. um, number uh, one reason. Uh, number one reason. No okay, uh, kneeling. Um, I don't know if you want to put it 
uh, number two or with that, but it's the players speaking out on social topics as they are a fact. Um, okay. A lot of these social topics are hard-hitting topics that are an opinion. Not to say these players are wrong or they're right, but the most of these um, statements are opinions, and when you present them as facts, again, it rubs at least half the country the wrong way. So, so if you want to say that's one or two, or you know, if you want to put, combine that with one or put that as two. So th- you know, those are the two primary reasons, just that sports are going to be no longer that escape, that disconnect, as you put it. Um, next up, um, the upcoming election. Now, I don't know that the election is going to reach the height of interest in the media that 2016 did because Trump was such a phenomenon then. Hillary Clinton had a really um, a lot of baggage on her resume. Joe Biden, uh, you know, I don't, I don't. He's not as much of a needle mover though. It does, it does, it does seem like you know he is in the news a lot more as of late. But some of that just because he is the uh, going to be the nominee. So that's going to be uh, reason number three. And for those that don't know, the NFL is in a unique position where it hurts them more during election years. One because they have a larger audience with more people and a larger percentage that can get turned off because you have more casual fans. But number two, the NFL is going up against the political shows by and large. Now, on Sundays, they don't go against the normal ones, but remember, the political work week starts on a Sunday. That's you know that's going to meet the press. What's the CBS on Face of the Nation, Chris Wallace's show. So political work week starts on a Sunday. So by Sunday, election talk really ramps back up. So there are a lot of people on Sundays that end up watching some of those programs, uh, whether it be in the morning before the game so that maybe they don't turn on football until later in the day, or they just consume Fox News, CNN, MSNBC um, throughout the day on Sunday. But the biggest one is that the, uh, the primetime games during the weekdays for Monday night football and Thursday night football have to go up against primetime cable news, which is breaking records. Tucker Carlson is coming off a quarter, the second quarter of 2020, and with the highest-rated cable news show ever. And Sean Handy was only like 20,000 viewers a night behind him. Fox News is coming out their highest rated July ever. The NFL and other sports during the weeknights are going to have to compete with these shows, and they are going to compete for eyeballs. And some fans that would be otherwise watching sports are going to be watching a combination of Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC. Right. So we got politics. We got competition. Anything else you see on the list? Like, okay, let's talk about this. So, so Clay had a thing out I read the other day where he said ESPN has gone from 100 million to about 75 million. It's a 25 million dollar drop in subscribers. It's got to affect the ratings to some degree, no? Cord cutting? Cord cutting? Yeah. Well, yeah, but I Right, but remember the only games ESPN is airing during football season. Monday night, right. It's Monday night football. So, you know, I don't, you know, the rest of those games are on broadcast TV. Yeah, cord cutting is a factor. Now, um, you know, I haven't seen the recent quarter charts. I don't know how many more people cut the cord last quarter versus a year ago now. I mean, I can't imagine that many more people don't have um, satellite or cable that had it last year because, again, you're comparing ratings year over year. So if you're assuming the NFL ratings are going to be down this upcoming fall, you're comparing it to last year, which I, I can't imagine that that drastic would change. Now, right. maybe it is. Again, I have looked over those numbers, but I can't imagine that that many more people cut the cord in one year that 
that, you know, had it last year, no longer have it. So I don't really consider that to be that big of a factor unless I'm overlooking some report that indicates otherwise. Sure. All right. So then let's 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 look at it this way now. Do you think that the that the pie chart you just created will be a consensus, or do you think that other outlets will blame the decreases on other factors? And what do you think those factors will be? Yeah. So the media, um, you know, I, I don't. I think they've lost the trust of the viewers. Finally, for the sports media. Really does a bad job of really presenting the truth when it comes to these topics. Um, 2016, you heard it. It was well, the NBA is overtaking the NFL. The NFL is not very good anymore. There's not enough star players. The quality's bad. Too many penalties. Too many commercials. That will all be bad. Uh, when the NFL ratings is assuming they're down early on, you're going to have people like Dan Lepetard, other ESPN talents on TV, radio, say, "Well, the NFL is not very good. Uh, games are boring. Too many penalties. Bad coaching. Bad offensive line pay, play. Bad quarterback play." Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're not going to blame it on the political landscape because they don't want people to believe that because they, they want you know, because that it goes against what they've been pushing for years. So I don't think it's gonna be a consensus at all. But I do agree that I agree with you that um that it's not going to be a consensus. I, I do not think my pie chart is going to line up with other people that are commenting on these uh issues. And uh quite frankly, I don't put my chart up against anybody because I feel very confident that if the ratings are down, those will be the three reasons why. Sure. Uh, the, it's an interesting time for sports media because we're, like you said, we're, we we went through this stretch where there was nothing, right? Like everyone was out, no one was playing. You know, I I'm a, I've been an athletic subscriber for a long time. I do like it, and um, I was getting so bored with reading about like the forty goofiest you know moments in Saints yeah. history or what you know whatever they were doing the best they could, you know, but certainly getting bored of it myself and um now we're to a point where like in in september we're gonna have nba playoffs nhl playoffs major league baseball playoffs football will be starting hopefully some form of college football will be going on so we're gonna go from nothing to everything really fast um what do you when you look ahead to that time and we're we're kind of at the cusp of it right now but as, as we get deeper into it and, and the calendar gets more crowded, and, and again, we've already mentioned there's also going to be an election this fall as well. But let's focus on the sports media part of it. What are some things that you're really interested to see play out as the calendar gets crowded and um, uh, we start to get settled into fall, summer ends, and still a lot is going to be canceled around us, I'm sure. Um, you know, we're probably not even going to have a Halloween this year, whatever. But as we get deep into this, what are the sports media-focused topics you are interested in seeing playing out over this in this crowded, crowded um, sports activity landscape that is approaching? Yeah, so uh, when the NBA debut, uh, restarted last Thursday, the ratings were quite a bit lower than MLB's opening night, which started uh, a week before the Thursday prior. But if you turn on sports programming, uh, NBA was covered at nauseum and baseball was barely, barely covered. But then you look at the ratings and you see, well, more Americans, more sports fans were watching baseball than the NBA. There's more interest in baseball. That's going to be a storyline uh, taking up several notches this fall with football because it's going to be common that shows like First Take, Sports Center, leave with the NBA 
on nights that it competed and lost badly to the NFL, college football, and probably baseball. Maybe not baseball as much, but the playoffs is it could lose to that. And you're going to see the sports media. This is a prediction, but I, but I mean, I'm, you can mark it down. You can put it in ink. They're going to cover the NBA more than the other sports, despite the numbers saying wow. less. Even NFL? Interested. Even NFL, and you think? Even NFL. Now, now, not all shows, but I think, I think if you look at ESPN's programming, probably you want to start from like 8 a.m. to the end of the 6 p.m. Sports Center, I believe from Labor Day until the last day of the NBA Finals, the NBA will get more airtime and coverage than the NFL. Interesting. I always kind of, uh, I always kind of look at the you know the NFL being king, um, but you kind of feel that it is, shift. It is in the as far as interest, but in the media, because of bad hires, uh, is the NBA number one? Because look at who has these shows, Steve. These are people that are synonymous with the NBA, not NFL. Stephen A. Smith is ESPN's biggest star. He's sure. an NBA guy, right? That, that matters. You know, that matters because these people have influence on the topic selection. So when you line your, you fill your lineup up with NBA talent, they're going to talk more NBA than NFL. Look at all the people that love the NFL at ESPN. They all left. Cowherd, Skip Bayless, Chris Berman, Tom Jackson. I mean, they're, they're you know, smaller old. But um, the people that really love the NFL are not at ESPN anymore. They're elsewhere. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I got to admit, I'm not an NBA guy. Um, yeah, I haven't watched an NBA game this year and probably not. I think the last NBA game I watched was the Cleveland Golden State one where Cleveland won the championship because I was, uh, you know, rooting for my Rust Belt brothers to get a championship there. Um, but, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was say that was uh, summer of 2016. Yeah, that I, whatever year it was, that was probably the last one I watched. Like, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll tune in, you know, if I see on my phone – Oh, there's 30 seconds left and they're inbounding. Like I might watch that, but I mean a game that that's probably the last one. But I'm not a basketball guy, so that's not really fair. Like I, I wouldn't watch anyway. It has nothing to do with really anything other than I don't like basketball. Uh, let me ask you. I got you. I got yeah, you. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple other ones. Um, the NFL, the Monday Night Football booth. Are you interested in seeing how that plays out? It's been so volatile, really, since Chirico left. Um, you can even trace it back a little bit yeah. further, but certainly since Trico left, they've been having a hard time um, getting something solid and respected uh, there. I thought that McDonough and Tessator did a decent job um, as play-by-play guys. Certainly McDonough is great, um, and uh, you know t- t- Joe Tess is a little you know you got to be in the mood for his style, but I never problem with him. Seems like it's that other part of it that's been really difficult. What do you think about the booth they're going to put in with Levy and um, uh, two? It's a three-man booth, correct? Uh, what do you think about yeah, the new booth and how Brian, that's going to go? Brian Greasy and Louis Greasy Riddick. and Riddick, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to cover it, obviously, so I'm going to pay a lot of attention to it. I've talked to a lot of sources around the industry on this. Um, the most common word I've heard is passable. It is a passable booth. It's not going to fail. You know, right. It's not going to be a blockbuster. It's going to be passable, which I agree with. Steve Levy, a good play-by-play commentator. Not great. Um, Brian Greasy, a good football analyst. Lewis Riddick is very good. I mean, a very good NFL analyst. You know, maybe not a star. He's not Tony Romo. He's not Troy Aikman. 
But I actually do think he will be do well and impress in that role. Um, so I would not be shocked, you know, if he does have a future in the booth there. So yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued, of course, given what I do. You know, if I was just a NFL fan, I'm not really sure how many storylines you're going to get with those three. Again, it's a passable booth, you know, pretty safe pick. It's not going to uh, really. It's not going to impact a lot of the games like Jason Witten and Booger McFarland did negatively. So right. interesting because of what I do. But uh, you know, if I didn't cover the media. You know, I don't really know that I'm going to have any takeaways Monday night. Outside, you know, if I was just a fan, like, I don't think I'm going to say, oh, wow, that was a great call by Steve Levy, or that was a great analysis by Greasy. Um, I think I think the conversation just will be a much uh, smaller around the booth than it has been years past, or as you say, since Mike Trico departed. And I think that's what they wanted, right? I mean, I think that yeah, they just couldn't 100%. afford another year of... Right. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And, and, and I gave ESPN credit. They made the right thing. Giving their options which included um, also, you know, Mix and Dan Orlowski in there, you know, likely instead of Greasy. I think Greasy was the better pick. Um, you know, the Kurt Herbstreit thing was definitely a possibility. They didn't love that idea. So they made the right move giving their options. Uh, yeah, which, is, like you said, this is uh, it's going to be a quiet year, hopefully, for ESPN and Monday Night Football. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what they wanted. And then uh, they'll revisit it at the end of the year and see what they're going to do moving forward. This is a topic on the last episode of the podcast. Let me get another opinion on it. Did you see the Kyle Kyle Brandt tweet uh, that made news about a week ago now where he basically threw his hands up in the air and said, you know, why are so many people who depend on sports for a living? I'm paraphrasing, but do you remember the tweet I'm talking about? Yeah. And it just yeah, he basically basically said that there are people in sports media that are rooting against sports returning. Right. And um, one of the right, and and one of the um, people who definitely pushed back on that uh, was Stuart Mandel from the Athletic, and he's a, a friend of the program. He's been on since 2011. He's been coming on with me, and I and I everything I'm going to say to you, I, we talked about last time. So I'm not, you know, saying anything I wouldn't say to him, and I did. Uh, he pushed back very much on this and disagreed very much with the tweet, and and had an issue with it, with what Kyle said and how he said it. And we talked about it last week, and, and, and my main point in defending it was, I said, you know, one of the first things I learned in media class, because I have a degree in mass media, I went to Syracuse, got sick, had a transfer to closer to home to Fredonia, but, and graduated there, but I was a Newhouse student initially. The first thing we learned was, if it bleeds, it leads, and it seems like with the coverage of corona, that's very much the case. You know, just yesterday, you know, the NHL released another round of um, corona testing, uh, in their bubble. And okay, that you want to say the NHL doesn't get much coverage anyway, but a very, very virus-related story. They had no positives, you know, v- scantily covered, you know. And then on the same day, uh, you know, um, a report, the, the, the baseball and, and the um, and the Cardinals and the update on that is everywhere, you know, and and, and then the demise of baseball is everywhere. And that was my main point. And what I thought Kyle meant was that, you know, it just seems like if you cover all the negative with such enthusiasm and vigor and you don't cover any of the positive, like declines in uh, Arizona and Florida, you know, seem to be peaking and coming out that and, and, and then, you know, the, the mounting proof of potential T cell immunities and, you know, maybe the herd immunity is, is closer to 10 than 60, just anything positive you want to mention uh, gets downplayed, whereas everything negative gets upselled. You know, that's where I think Kyle is coming from. And, and maybe 
I swayed Stewart a little bit, not much. Where do you stand on Kyle's tweet and and just the general perception that you know the media is, um, you know, get, be very act, the sports media is very active in the fear mongering of COVID and potentially quote unquote cheering for the virus. Yes, I want to be very clear on this because I also tweeted this, um, and Darren Ravel pushed back, and which is fine. Um, you know, he was wrong. I mean, I stand by what I said. So my takeaway was, and I'll be clear on this because uh, people, you know, took this uh, different ways. There are, I believe, there are some media members in sports media that would be okay if there was no football season this year for a couple reasons. One, as I said earlier on the show, um, there's a lot of people that are employed make a lot of money, guaranteed contracts that are not football fans. They don't like it. They're, they're against it politically, or at least they were. In uh, number one, the sports media is more anti-Trump than they are probably anything else. Like I think, that is, I think there are people that are employed to cover sports that, that, above all else, want Trump to lose in November. And if there isn't a football season, I expect there will be. So, again, we're talking really hypotheticals here. It will hurt Trump because the more the country, whatever, it doesn't matter if it's Trump, Bush, Obama, Clinton, when the country is unhappy, they tend to vote for change. Sure. And, yep. having, and having football canceled or delayed or suspended, whatever, not only is that going to upset football fans, but it's really it's really going to send an alarm off like, man, we're losing this battle to COVID. The pandemic's winning. Which is then going to lead people to say, "Well, you know, we got to vote for change." Fair or not, they're going to. There's going to be people that take that as, "Okay, we're you know we're out on Trump. Uh, the pandemic is beating America. It just cost us football season. That you know that is concerning." So I do think there are people in the business that would be okay with that result. Now people come back at me and say, "Well, that's against their own financial interest because that could cost them money." Maybe, again, you know, a lot of people have contracts. I don't really know that it's going to cost them money, but COVID pay cuts and, uh, you know, future contracts. But every election, people vote against their own financial interests. I mean, uh, like as Clay said, um, Holly, people in Hollywood, it really doesn't benefit them economically to vote for the Democrat, uh, their, their policies. Um, you know, for them, you would think that they would vote um, for Republican candidates, but a lot of them do vote Democrat. Which, which again, nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't always make sense, um, you know, for their for their financial interest, which would be the similar case here with the sports people and no football. But I, again, to, you know, to wrap it all up, I said some. I, I I do not believe the vast majority of sports media members are rooting for any season not to happen. I mean, I would put it out like ninety percent are hoping for a full sports slate. And I think there's probably some percentage that are rooting just for no football but then so yeah again i do not believe it to be a problem as like an industry-wide belief i said there are some that i think would be okay if there was no football season if it meant if it meant getting trump out of office i definitely think there's people out there who would sacrifice just about anything if it meant getting trump out of office. Well, that, that's what I, that's yeah. I don't believe. I don't believe what I said to be that polarized. I don't I mean, either. Yeah. Give, I, 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 all I said is, is that if if it meant like if you were to ask, and, and you can, you probably know who I'm talking about. Let's turn on the TV. Go on Twitter. There are people that whether they like football, don't like football, like baseball, don't like baseball. If it, if they had the option, you have a sports season, and Trump stays in office, or you don't have a sports season, and Trump 
loses the election, you can't tell me that 100% of personalities in sports media are going to say, yeah, I want sports and keeping Trump in office. There's no way. No, I think you'd have a lot of people who would take that trade. Uh, just right, and, and I, right, absolutely. Yeah, and and yeah, and again, yeah, I don't think that's that that crazy. You know, I think I've had a lot of now. People... Now that's that's not what Kyle Brandt said. That's no, what I said. I have that's what nice. he said. Just to be fair, I'll read it. Yeah. Uh, there's a segment of the NFL media that seems to be almost rooting for COVID to affect the season. They want it. They see the Marlins news and say, "Yep, lots of luck, football." These are people who make their living off football. I don't get it. So that's what he said, just to be fair, since we yeah, didn't. I, yeah, I mean, listen, he, he didn't go in detail explaining why, but that is similar to what I said, uh, you know, a, a segment, you know, a, a, a percentage of people in the NFL media. Yeah, I right. mean, I, I agree with him. I mean, he, didn't, he didn't give a reason why, and I don't know what his reason is because of Trump or whatever. I don't know. Like, yeah, I've not spoken to him about that. But, uh, you know, if you were to ask me, do I agree with him, I would say yes, but then I would go explain why I mean that. He did a poor job explaining why he feels that way. Right. Well, and it's one tweet. You know what I mean? I always right, like, right, yeah, right. you know, you can only explain so much in, what is it, 280 characters right. now. Right. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm on a podcast right now, so I can elaborate. Right, right. right. We have that benefit. And look, at Kyle's been yeah. great to me. Uh, he's come on a few times. I, I really appreciate him. And Stuart's been great to me. Uh, so... And and Stuart was very fair last week too. By the way, um, we had a very healthy yeah. um, debate on it, and um, I appreciate your opinion on that as well. Uh, the sportscasters are here. A debut. Bobby Burak is on the show. Uh, really appreciate having him. He's at with Outkick. You can find him on Twitter. He's at b u r a c k b o b b y underscore, uh, and of course Outkick.com. You can follow Outkick at Outkick as well. Uh, a few more minutes. We'll go over a couple more things, and I'll let you go if that's okay. Yeah, um, quick note on that. Sure. Also, yeah. I'm on Parlor now, so it's Outkick. You'll find me at Bobby Burak on Parlor and Outkick at uh, OCTC. I believe that's what it is. Uh, so, yeah, you can find, you can find uh, myself and Outkick over on Parlor. But I encourage everybody to check out. I think it's very cool. It's a very cool social media platform. It's not for everybody, but I would, I would recommend giving it a shot, seeing how it goes. Yeah, sort of like a. A Twitter alternative, I suppose, is a good way to yeah. describe it. Uh, 100%. If, if you're looking for one. Uh, a couple more, and then, like I said, and then I'll let you go. Um, yeah. The restarts in terms of let's, let's if we can, uh, put aside the, the huge aspect of this, and that's been all the politics. Uh, but the restarts have presented a different challenge for sports media, of course, and that is how do we cover these games uh, without fans, um, and you know, how do we cover sports in a COVID nineteen world? You know, limited access and limited, right. um, you know, announcers aren't at the games in all cases. Most cases, they're not. How do you ha- ha- has anything stuck out to you as uh, a really great innovation or uh, something you tip the cap to, or the opposite of that? Has there been anything that has kind of stunk the bed for you? What do you think about the coverage otherwise? Um, and kind of the challenges facing the networks and the leagues and how it's yeah. been handled. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair here, um, you know, it, it's still very early. early. Yep, uh, early. I, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I want to say, you know, we haven't even gotten to football season, so there, there are going to be winners, losers, uh, absolutely, but we're not, really not at that point. Um, you, know, you know, so far, I don't. nothing has really drastically stood out to me because, like, the NBA media is down there. So, you know, they're down there. They have masks on. They're still doing sideline reporting. Um, you, you know, I think one thing that 
as stood out to me somewhat. Maybe it's not as of late, but you you are seeing a lot of these shows uh, broadcast from a talent home, or they're not they're not right across each other. They're in they're in boxes uh, because they have to be at least six feet apart. So that's been a challenge. Just having a conversational show when the talents aren't face-to-face. That, that's not easy to do. Uh, I think some shows have done it as well as they could. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, though, and, and you know, again, it's really early, but I think to me, you just look at who has been able to elevate their status during the pandemic and during the bubble, during the NBA restart. Uh, to me, Chris Haynes uh, from Yahoo and now TNT, he's really broken out again since July when he went down to Orlando. He's been all over TNT's coverage, breaking news. He's doing columns for Yahoo, getting players on record, bringing real stories, not just transactional stories that teams confirm 20 seconds later. I mean, he's breaking news that otherwise wouldn't be out there. So to me, the biggest takeaway would it would be the elevation of Chris Haynes' status. I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, actually a week ago, just because I really think he has stood out amongst the pack during uh, the NBA's restart. Now, some of that is because his competitor, Adrian Wojnarowski, did not elevate his status. He got right. suspended. I right. foolishly sending a senator an email. I don't need to say what he said. Everybody probably knows. But uh, Haynes, big winner uh, so far. Did you settle on a Mount Rushmore of television shows? I had fun with that, reading your tweets and some of the responses. Have you reached, in your mind, uh, a? are you ready to construct the monument? Hopefully not on stolen land or whatever uh, people have now accused Mount Rushmore of being. But have you, uh, have you decided on your TV Mount Rushmore? TV Mount Rushmore? Yeah, I did. Okay, um, what do we got? Toronto is not on there. Okay. It's George the Washington. King. Uh, it change, you know, change yes, television, the king. television landscape. Yep. Um, so that's on there. Breaking Bad, unbelievable show, so fun to watch. So much of the feedback I got with yeah, Breaking Bad's on there. Sopranos and Breaking Bad, you can start, uh, you know, have people work on carving those out. They're on there. Um, to me, the leftovers is up next. I know Mount Rushmore is not order, but that's how I'm going to do it. Okay. So the leftovers, which you probably haven't even seen, so a lot of people don't even no, know I've what I'm talking it. about. No, I've seen Unbelievable it. show. Yep. Nearly flawless from pilot to finale. Acting, writing, show running, done at, at levels that we have not seen before. Um, that show's impact on its viewers is second to none. And the fourth spot is where I struggle. You have The Wire, which is the consensus greatest show of all time among critics, but I disagree. You have Game of Thrones, which was at its peak, the biggest and the most entertaining, but really struggled at the end. And you have like Mad Men, which was a, which, uh, was a show that was probably done as well from the writer's room as any show ever has been. I mean, the writing there is just unbelievable. If you look at some of the lines and the dialogue, that is writing, writing. At its best, so I end up settling with The Wire, which isn't my favorite show, but I think the impact of it and some of the legacy that it created and um, the way it opened viewers' eyes up to what went on during that time, some of the character development there was phenomenal. So that's my about Rushmore: The Wire, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, and The Leftovers. One thing I said in you picked all hour long shows, but I was I was not gonna mix the sitcoms with the hour long dramas. Just to me it's apples and oranges. I think it's a different monument. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. Uh so- sure. Sopranos is my number one by a mile. I think it's the king. It's the innovator. Yeah. You know, it is the show that everyone 
benefited from its existence, and it's an easy number one spot for me. The Wire is my number two. Um, I love it. I love The Wire. I was the guy who heard about how great it was for years and years and years, so it had a lot of expectations by the time I came to it, and I felt like it did as good as it could to live up to it. Now, season five is a disaster, Um, so that is a strike against it and keeps it behind uh, Sopranos. Number three for me is Deadwood. Um, Maybe could have passed The Wire if not for its brevity, um, which definitely hurt it, but I feel like the movie... Uh, helped kind of round the story out and give it a conclusion, although not as good of a conclusion as maybe we would have had with a season four. You know, I watched it back recently, and, and I'm just thinking, like, where were they going with these theater people? There had to be something more to that that we didn't get to see um, because there was no season four. You know what? Like, because it just doesn't. Well, and, um, uh, well, forgive me, it was Cy, the guy's name, it came in late, with the, or not late, but he came in at, uh, end of season one to be yeah. uh, Al's competitor. Yep, the and, rival. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, he, um, his, his, uh, the guy that played him died between the final yep. season of the movie. Not having him hurt it, of course. Sure. Um, just be, uh, because he, he was like a focal point of the show, and you really wanted to see, you know, what happened between, uh, you know, him and Al. So yeah, that was disappointing. Um, I love Deadwood. I agree with you. If we were, if we were able to get more seasons from that. Um, maybe that could have ranked on more Mount Rushmore's, including mine. Um, that was a great, that was a great show. Uh, I wish we could have gotten more to it because, like you said, there were a lot of storylines that we never got to see the end of. Yeah, and I think the theater is a great example of that. I know there was more to that than just mm-hmm. these random people show up and put on a talent show one night. You know? Yeah, right, right. Um, and then the fourth spot is so, like you said, so crazy competitive. Um. And here's my thing with Breaking Bad. One is it always felt like more of an action show than a drama to me in a lot of ways, uh, which isn't a strike against it. But here's what I think is the strike against it. Especially after this last season, I keep wondering, is Better Call Saul better? Um, you know, I, I keep hearing that question. Anybody, but let me ask you this. Yeah. I don't want to enjoy Better Call Saul. Like, that. like it doesn't keep me on my feet. Well, like, is, is it? They'll leave you like just like man. I need the next episode now because Breaking Bad did nearly every single final season. I, right. You know, I watched that Netflix binge watching. I had to stay up another forty five, fifty minutes to watch the next episode. Better Call Saul doesn't do that to me. It's more of a slow burn. Yep. I don't think it's much of a conversation of which one is better. I hear that all the time. I'm not blaming you for asking that, but I I, I find that confusing because to me, I don't see that at all. Well, I think I think you're highlighting what I was kind of going to. I think Big Bad was, to a lot of degree, an action movie on TV, right? And that the the action always felt like you know would get close to the peak, but not quite the peak at the end. And you wanted to see the next. Like I know with Breaking yeah. Bad, when I was rewatching it, many times I would be I would start fifteen minutes into an episode because the night before I had to at least watch the next fifteen minutes of that one before right. I went to bed. Yeah. You know, because I feel like that's kind of the way they shot it. And yes, Better Call Saul is not that. You know, it's very much a more slow burn. You know, maybe more similar to like a Mad Men style of storytelling. Yeah. You know, so I think they are very different. So it's hard to compare them to each other. And if you're looking for adrenaline and drama, sure, Breaking Bad's miles ahead of it. You know, on that. The- yeah. No. Well, that's an interesting discussion because 
I do think when you critique Breaking Bad, a lot of times you let your fandom interfere because it was so fun to watch, you enjoyed it, you were so immersed in the storylines and the characters. Sometimes maybe we, we gloss over some of the storyline flaws in writing. So you're right, like Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold are more superior writers now for Better Call Saul. Right. So like they, they learn from form of faith. So from a writing standpoint, I get what you're saying. Like, like Better Call Saul could top it in that category. But I still think as a show, you got to factor in just, just uh, the, the adrenaline that it provided you and your enjoyment and just really what it was able to do. Uh, I still think some of the scenes that Breaking Bad put on TV remain untouched. Um, I absolutely love the show. But I do see what you're saying when you talk about from a writing standpoint, that maybe Better Call Saul is more um, uh, less flawed in certain areas because you could look back at Breaking Bad and be like, you know, does that scene really make sense? Is that really necessary? Or is it really just going for, you know, kind of like that heart pounding moment? So I, I get what you're saying. You, you explained that well. Yeah, kind of like Gus walking out of the room with his face blown off, you know, as like a Terminator kind of a thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. That. I, I don't think Better Call Saul would do that. I no. Think, I think Vince Gilligan would look back and say, that was amateur. Let, let's let's do this more realistically. I think Better Call Saul does a good job of making pretty much everything it does believable, where Gilligan pretty much asked his Breaking Bad viewers to just say, okay, don't look too much into that. Just sit back and enjoy it. Here's what I'll say about um, uh, Breaking Bad is I've had a little bit of a trouble like watching it through a second time, I'm, I, and I'm not sure why. Um, maybe it's still too fresh, the experience of why. I'm not sure, but I tried a couple times, like, oh, I need to give this a, a watch through again, and I haven't been able to um, get through that first, like, six episodes. Uh, and I'm not sure why. Um, Game of Thrones. Well, I think, I think part- yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, I think, I think it's normal because with Breaking Bad, it was such a thrill ride and experience that you can't really replace it. So much of it was your emotion that when you already, like so much of it is like, well, what Vince Gilligan did brilliantly was he would write his characters into corners that it felt impossible for them to get out of. Like, you're like right. wow, they're going to yeah. die here. I don't know how, I mean, it's it season two, episode five. There's no way they kill Walter now, but man, there's no way he's getting out of this. Right, issue. like when Hank has him thing. cornered in the desert there. Or whatever yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. You found it, okay. Here's the end, and then Vince Gilligan would brilliantly write them out of it. So sure. when you already know how where that's going, it's harder to enjoy that because, it's like, well, you already know Walter is going to survive the sea, even though you kind of knew it the first time, but you just didn't know how. So yeah, I agree with that. Breaking Bad is not quite as enjoyable. It's rewatch as a show like The Sopranos, which seems to just get better. Yeah, every I've time watched it ten watch. times, probably at least. Sopranos, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, the Game of Thrones, here's what I'll tell you about that, is that I've not watched anything else like it. I'm not into the genre it fits in, uh, but yeah. it was still good enough that it had me, right? And I wanted to watch it every week. Thing is, is it's way over my head. I think I'm pretty smart, but apparently smart enough. I had no idea what was going on in that show. I don't know anyone's name. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's an episode, and I know it's pretty widely criticized at this point, but I couldn't even see anything on the screen. The whole last season to me was a bust. Uh, It's obviously great because it got me, someone who has watched nothing else in that genre, 
to enjoy yeah. it for years and years. That has to mean something. Um, I know it's great. I spent many of hours enjoying it, but I just spent too many hours not understanding it. Uh, I know there was that one year where Simmons had a pretty big role at HBO and a few people from ringer did a show after kind of explaining yeah. it to me. And that was invaluable to me. Like I was like, Oh, okay. Like I remember this one time, uh, the, the, the one guy in the show was like, do you, okay. So do you remember these guys from season two, episode three? And I'm like, no, I do not remember those guys from that. I have no idea who those guys are, but now that you say that, like, okay, I get it. Um, so maybe yeah. I'm just, maybe I'm not smart enough for it to be on my Mount, Mount Rushmore, but you know, I, mean, I, I definitely didn't have that issue. You know, I mean, I, you know, I was really into it. You know, I, I knew everybody's name. I had predictions for everybody. Um, that was a show that I was definitely most quote unquote into during scare time. Um, sure. you know, I mean, to me, it was, it, it was equatable to an NFL Sunday. Did you I read the book? Uh, not, so I've read, I've you've read, read them now. Well, you are you asking me like when I watched it? Just in not? general, I'm just wondering if you've read the books. Yeah, so I have, but I've not read every single one. I have not done an order. So when I watched Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones, um, now this isn't, isn't the best way to it, but I was watching them um, like the first four seasons on demand. So I was bouncing around books to try to meet up with those storylines and gotcha. kind of better understand of the backstory, but as you know, the books ran out of material right. about yep. the end of season five, so I, I have not finished the end part of the final books, um, so I don't know if you want to say I read them or not, but I'm definitely aware of the storytelling in there, and I've also read a lot of you know recaps of how the TV version compares to the books. So, so to answer your question, no, I have not read the series, but I've read the series. Sure. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Game of Thrones definitely is always going to be an achievement of TV. There's nothing ever like it. Um, probably more popular at its peak than maybe all these other shows combined. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. Like, right. I don't, even if you combine eras, like, considering who was streaming Game of Thrones, watching it illegally, I don't know if The Wire, Breaking Bad. Well, The Wire, definitely not. The Wire, definitely not. Yeah. The Wire had virtually no following, you know, right. when so, it yeah, aired. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think you're going to look back and say, Wow, we missed Game of Thrones. That was pretty cool. Nothing's like it. Nothing's going to be like it. But yeah, I mean, it's only been a year. I don't think fans are over how it ended. Um, I don't blame them. It was not a very good last season. I didn't have a problem with it to the degree that others had. I thought that they seemed to be going in the right direction. Then quickly rush things. Um, I, and my big problem was really the last half hour of the finale, right? I thought that they just lost it i thought everything they did they just pretty much said you know we're doing this we don't care if it makes sense or it fits storyline wise so yeah game of thrones misses my mount rushmore but i will say two years ago the same moment when it was in august 6th i would have said a lot would have to go wrong in game of thrones <laughs> right series. and it, and it did <laughs> right and it did uh and, the, he, and here i am two years later right. and it's not on mount rushmore the other two i consider were mad men and the americans uh, and I yeah. I just watched the Americans for the second time through, and it's the opposite of um, Game of Thrones. Where like, wow, what a great last season they had, and wow, what a great job they did paying off the moment. You know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the yeah. show, but there's like a moment that you know has to happen in the show where the spies and the government are going to realize who each other are. You know, like I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, 
and right. you wait for that moment the whole series and like they nailed it um and 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 madman is so great i did ultimately decide on madman so i had madman deadwood wire and sopranos yeah we, we we've touched on the upper echelon of dramas the yeah other one, the shield the shield, shield is very good discussion. yep top 10 lost, for sure um i think lost probably still is in there and you know maybe not mount rushmore but outside looking in um yeah, maybe uh, I'd have to think more about that, but, but I got a lot of tweets and DMs that lost should be in that discussion. Uh, that about covers it. Um, West Wing potentially great writing. Um, maybe yeah, maybe very worthy there. But, yeah, yeah. But I think I think those are the shows that you put in there. Absolutely covered them. All right. So once again, I want to lay it all out. Bobby is at b u r a c k Bobby underscore on Twitter. Uh, on Parlor, I'll mention that since you did. It's first name, last name. So this is pretty easy, right? If it, if you're on Twitter, yeah, yeah. it's last name, first name with an underscore, and if you're on Parlor, it's first name, last name. Uh, look for him on Outkick.com and follow more Outkick stuff at Outkick. Uh, anything else you want to plug in terms of uh, what people can look to you for on Outkick? In the uh, in this crowded sports. No, I mean, look, I appreciate you coming out. I think uh, if anybody uh, listened to this from start to finish, they probably have a good idea who I am and what I think. So I think that will uh, either sell them on me, or right. maybe they going to go block me on Twitter so they never see anybody reshare my stuff. Well, either way, you know what? That's what I was going for. I wanted to really get to know you this time, and hopefully by hopefully you'll come back. Um, and a lot of people come back a lot, and I'm lucky that way. So hopefully. You know, five years from now, we're talking about you coming back a lot, and it won't be as much about me just trying to draw out who you are because that's what I was really trying to do, get to know you, and hopefully have a chance for you to get to know the show. But I appreciate all your time. Uh, I had the most fun talking about the TV at the end because I'm, I'm a nerd for that. And um, I look forward to following you and OutKick, and uh, thanks so much for doing this. Thank Bobby Burak and Aaron Schatz for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Uh, you can email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, I mentioned you can find all episodes of this podcast on our SoundCloud page. That includes episodes where this show had two hosts, uh, myself and Don Russ. And sometime in the very near future, we will do an old school sportscasters podcast uh, with Don in the chair across from me. Don't forget to check out Greetings from Allentown. Twitter is at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, he has a new episode up from the early 1980s uh, this, this week, and it's a show... Uh, which I love these shows because he schools me. It's Portland, Oregon. Uh, Portland Wrestling, March 1st and 15th, 1980. And it includes uh, Piper getting his hair cut. And if you know anything about Peter, he loves hair matches. 
Uh, again, check him out, GF Allentown Pod, and we will be doing an Adams Division podcast uh, where we do a SummerSlam card from 88 to 98 uh, sometime this month as well. Our friend Adrian Dater is in the bubble, the NHL bubble in Edmonton, doing what he loves to do, covering the Avalanche. He's at a Dater on Twitter, and he caught some flack this week uh, because he tweeted that Connor McDavid didn't inspire his teammates because of his boring personality, and he speculated his leadership could be an issue, and it caused a lot of uproar on Twitter. And then, of course, the next game, uh, McDavid stuck it right in Dater with a hat trick, uh, which <laughs> didn't go over well. Uh, but Adrian handled it well. He took the L. And hey, at the end, uh, they didn't win another game after that hat trick. Uh, and Edmonton is gone again, McDavid or no McDavid. Uh, they will not be a playoff team this year. Uh, say la vie to them. They lose to the 23rd seeded Chicago Blackhawks. Pathetic. Also, place to be nation. Uh, I was on the uh, flagship show uh, recently. I'll be on again in October. And I also, for Place to Be Nation, did a show on their pop feed, which is called Laugh-In Theater, where I watched uh, the movie Back to School with the main man over there. So check that out. All right, one last thing for me today, and I have a list now that I keep. I've been struggling sometimes uh, with a topic on one last thing. And I said, you know what I'm going to have to do? I use the app Evernote a lot for the podcast to keep track of my guests on there. And it has a list of of one last thing ideas. And there's two on here that are going to just murder when I get the balls to do them. Uh, Tonight's that not not that night, though. So I'm going to go with one I have written down. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I follow a guy on Twitter named Greg Renoff. And he was on this podcast before. He wrote a book about Van Halen's rising and how Van Halen kind of rose in Southern California. They used to play these legendary like backdoor parties. You know, imagine if you're a guy who lives out in the world somewhere who can say that Van Halen, you know, in the early or mid 1970s played his freaking backyard insane to even think of and this book is about that anecdotes like that and i follow him on twitter and he also wrote a book about a guy named ted templeton and he was supposed to be on to talk about it and he canceled like at the last minute and i guess he didn't like my response to the rescheduling because he never responded to me again he didn't end up doing the show which is fine i just didn't end up reading the book and the point is is that if you follow greg on twitter he talks about Van Halen nonstop, and the main debate is always about the two main singers, the Van Halen with Roth and the Van Hagar era. And Greg is obviously a huge uh, Roth era fan, and when he's trying not to be cool, he will admit that he likes the Hagar stuff too. He will admit that, but a lot of his followers are just huge, huge anti-Hagar people. And I wanted to talk about that for a minute because I love Van Halen. I love Eddie Van Halen and I love David Lee Roth at Jump was one of my first songs I remember loving in rock and roll. I remember being at my grandmother's house and my uncle was a, a teenager, like 
just out of high school, you know, 18, 19, in 1984, well, he was born in 67, so I don't know how how old that made him in 1984, but I remember him and his buddies in my grandmother's living room, and the jump video would be on, and I would be trying to be cool, and I guess he was 17 years old at that point, and I would try to be cool and fit in with the guys, and I remember the jump video on, and I remember jumping whenever David Lee Roth would say, you know, might as well jump, and getting their attention and loving it. And so I love Van Halen. Like they're a part of my musical fabric. But I like Hagar better. Look it. And here's what I've always said. It's two different bands. Van Halen and Van Hagar. And Van Halen is rock and roll, sex and drugs and parties and a good time on the beach, babes everywhere cocaine, alcohol, parties. That's Van Halen, right, with Roth. And the music reflects that. And that's okay. And that is really good. And there are days and weeks where I will listen listen to nothing but Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, Diver Down, 1984. You know, all those albums, I will listen to them for weeks without listening to everything else because I love, love Van Halen from that era. But, you know, in 1986, 5150 came out, and there's another story that surrounds my uncle. So my uncle had a st- lived, lived with my grandmother. So in 1986, I guess he's 19, right? And when my parents first got divorced, we moved in. My mother and I moved back into my grandmother's house as well. So I would be at my grandmother's house all day, and my uncle would go to work. And when he would go to work, he would lock the door, but from the outside, and I would pull, push the uh, hamster or the hamster, the hamper up to the door and I would climb up on top of it, unlock his door, go into the room and break into his stereo. And he had an early CD player and he had five or six CDs. And the one I always played was 5150. And I would always play Love Walks In or Dreams or Summer Nights or Best of Both Worlds. I was, you know, a five-year-old kid in love with that record. And any time my uncle was gone, I would see my way into that room and play it. And my grandmother would always catch me, and I would tell her, like, oh, you know, Uncle Paul said I could do this. And I know my grandmother knew I was bullshit, but she was just hoping I wouldn't break anything. That's what she would always say. Okay, don't break anything. And then she'd swear in Italian and walk off. But I just thought it was so cool to be in there and play CDs and I love that 5150 record. It's one of my top 10 records of all time. And I love Hagar. Like, first of all, he's a way better singer than Roth. That's undeniable. Like, just look at it this way. When Hagar was in the band, he would sing Roth songs in concert. Roth would never touch a Hagar song. He just can't sing it. He's not that kind of singer. So, I mean, in terms of talent, I mean, it's undeniable, you know, that Hagar is just a million times better singer than Roth. No doubt. There's no debate there. And when I talked about it being a party in Van Halen with Roth, Van Hagar is more serious and it's a little bit deeper lyrics and, you know, more about relationships and it's just deeper. It's not just all 
sex and drugs and rock and roll. There's some of that. You know, Summer Nights is a really fun, like, party song. You know, but then there's also songs about things like domestic violence on balance. Don't tell me what love can do. You know, there's obviously Dreams, this, like, incredibly optimistic song about chasing dreams. You know, in the end, on Dreams We Will Depend. Because that's what love is made of, you know, and it can be hokey sometimes and it could be corny. Sure. Sometimes and not everything worked. You know, there was some bombs. I don't love OU812 that much. There's some good songs on there, but it's my least favorite of the Hagar albums. But I love here's what I'll do. I'll say this. Eddie Trunk, he does his top 20s and he just did a Metallica one. And one of the first bands he did around May of 2018 was Van Halen. And I made my top 20. So we'll go through it a little bit. I'll talk about some of these songs. Number 20, I had Oh Pretty Woman, you know, from the covers album. Again, this is Roth, fun, a cover of a song. You know, you just picture girls on the beach in the video. 19, I have Not Enough, which is a piano track from Balance. Uh, and right there, 20 to 19, an unbelievable glimpse into the yin and the yang of Hagar versus Roth. Party, oh, pretty woman versus, you know, you broke my heart. It's not enough. Piano, sadness. 18, unchained. 17, when it's love. 16, feel your love tonight. Uh, 15, and the cradle will rock. I might have screwed up the numbers there. 14, the seventh seal from balance. 13, run around. 12, top of the world. That's two songs for foreign lawful carnal knowledge. 11, dance the night away. 10, jump. 9, Panama. I grouped the two big hits from 84 together there. 8, best of both worlds. 7, don't tell me what love can do. Maybe the best Eddie Van Halen riff of all time. Number 6, ain't talking about love. Uh, number 5, humans being the song that broke up. Uh, Van Hagar, which maybe even should be higher. I absolutely love Eddie Van Halen on that song. Amazing. Number four, I'll Wait, my favorite uh, Van Halen song with Roth. And then three Sammy songs to finish. Number three, Love Walks In from 5150. Number two, The Dream Is Over from Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. And number one, Dreams, uh, my number one Van Halen song. So let's talk about the breakdown there. We have one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine Roth songs and 11 Hagar songs almost right down the middle. And that's the way I feel about Van Halen right down the middle. There's no reason you can't love both of them. I know it gets like really, really competitive with the Roth fans, especially, you know, they feel like any acknowledgement of how great they were post Roth is somehow like a, a stab in the back of their youth or their childhood or the times that they just loved uh, when Hagar or when uh, Roth was the singer. But that's it. One last thing on Van Halen today. Still a lot coming up this summer. Don's going to be here for a Sportscasters old school episode. Uh, if it happens, I have an unbelievable interview maybe on the next podcast. Uh, I'm not going to jinx it though. Uh, we still have Corbin Reef, who will talk Chris Cornell with us. It's going to be a great summer. I hope everyone is well out there. You're safe. 
you're enjoying the summer, making the best of what's been a crazy 2020. Uh, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>